welcome to another episode of Parenting for Us, by Us, where we talk about what it's like to parent black and brown children. I'm your host, Kumara Denise. And I'm your co-host, Shope Ogunyemi. And I'm your co-host, Yasmin Fillmore. One is wondering, like, why did I do this topic? Because Kumara ain't got no kids. That's right, I don't have any children, but I, I feel like I have raised so many. Um, as my sister has noted, I am the god mother of two of her children. I'm the godmother of five children altogether. Um, I'm also auntie to those two kids. Um, and being an educator, I have actually educated thousands of children throughout the K-12 diaspora and mentored quite a few um, folks who are in college and embarking on their young young career. So, um, so while I don't have any biological children, I do feel like I'm a mother to so many, because um, it really does take a village to raise a child. So you guys are all here with us so that we can pour into you all around what it takes to raise black and brown children, especially now. 2020 has been such a time. I mean, I don't even know what else to say about it between the pandemic and the racial injustices that we've always known have existed, but have bubbled up to such a, um, a violent and, and politicized surface. Um, and so how are we going to keep our, our black and brown children really safe during this time? What can we do to help our white allies raise anti-racist children? Uh, because I wish I could say it's our generation, but it's going to be the next generation that makes this place a better America, that makes this a better country. And so what can we do to pour into them so that they are the best generation that they can be? It is personal to talk and vulnerable to talk about what's going on with you as a parent, how you're feeling about um, the situations with your children, um, how unsafe you feel, but you want to protect them, and like, where is that balance? And so the idea that you are willing to come up and show up and be vulnerable and pour into all of the um, people, I just am in gratitude. I really thank you guys so much. So um, I'm really going to hop into it. I'm going to ask them all to sort of introduce themselves, shout out their children if they would like. Um, and I'm just going to go around who I see first. So let's go with Adila. All right. Hi, guys. I'm Adila Hussein Johnson. I um, am a mother to three. So my eldest, Noah, my first son, he's five. My daughter, who's my middle child, she's three and a half. And then my youngest, Kyrie, is two. So I have three under five. Um, my husband and I both work full time. I run a brand called Base. I'm the president of a brand called Base. And it's a travel goods brand in the consumer goods space. My husband is um, a health. He works in healthcare in business development. So pre-COVID, he traveled a lot. So post-COVID, we've kind of both been home and uh, my son just started kindergarten, so it's been uh, a very interesting time in our life here at the house. Um, I, I mean, for me, this panel was really inspiring to join because I've always felt um, I was born in Pakistan, grew up for the first 11 years of my life in the Middle East and moved to the United States when I was 10, actually. Um, and then that those first four years in this country were incredibly challenging years for me because it was the first time I was actually ever made aware of my race. Um, I didn't know I was a color or a religion. Um, and it was the first time I was exposed to that because I was actually called an Oreo um, at somebody from school. And I didn't actually even know what that meant. And my father had to explain it to me. And it was a huge learning curve for me. And then since then, having grown up in a culture that was predominantly not me, in one way or another. My husband is black. My kids are mixed, um, biracial, bi-religious, bi-ethnicity. So there's, there are a lot of bi 
Um, and I'm actually selfishly on this panel to learn more than I am to speak because I am navigating this space probably as newly as everybody else is. So thank you for having me. Thanks, Adela. Uh, Alushala. Hi, I'm Alushala Tribble. Um, I uh, have one son who is three. I'll use his initials. I use his initials in public, I-J-H-T. Um, and uh, I am uh, um, a racial equity and cultural educator and coach where I um, help institutions to um, really decolonize their imagination from white supremacy uh, to find solutions that are um, non-oppressive. So that's what I do all day. Uh, and it's a new business. So hit me up if y'all need anything. So, <laughs> um, I, I, so I'm a mommy to one. I'm an aunt and a daughter and a godmom. And this subject is uh, super important to me. I also I was a teacher in a past life, and um, my uh, and I guess to follow suit with uh, Adila, you know, the first time I remember being racialized was my first day of kindergarten, and so it is important to um, really. And this was in Austin, New York, in Westchester County, New York. So it's important to prepare your children, to give them pride and to prepare your children for what they will be facing because, you know, a five-year-old might not have the words to express, well, mommy, this, you know, this racist incident happened, um, but you just have to notice things you know, notice things. Mommy, nobody would sit next to me on the bus and I was the only brown child on the bus, right? So, um, yeah, so this is, you know, something very near and dear to me as my um, child is, has entered our public school system here in Nashville as a special needs child and has interacted with public school system um, sooner than I would have liked. Um, and so um, I'm also here to say what's worked so far, but I'm also very new in the game. <laughs> and so I'm here to listen as well. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much, Alushla, for that. Uh, Yasmin. Hi, I'm Yasmin Fillmore. Uh, I work in philanthropy and, you know, like 10 years of experience in the nonprofit space. Um, I have a just just turned five year old little girl, uh, Celine, and um, I've been married for maybe like ten years to my husband. Um, he is Persian, but was raised in Sweden, so kind of an interesting uh, childhood there. So my child is biracial, but I think, um, at least in this country, you know, for now, while she will obviously learn about her Persian heritage, probably presents as. Uh, black and it's really important for me to teach her about her culture, but also teach her about the challenges she's going to face at uh, such a young age. You know, following Adila and Lucy's uh, experience as well, I think we're, we're, we all have been racialized at a pretty young age, and I just want her to be prepared for that and to know that that's not a reflection of her worth. That's other people's problems, and to not let that slow her down in any way. And you know to continue to hold herself in high regard. Um, 
And I think that's going to be a challenge every day. And that's kind of my job as a mom. So I'm really excited to be a part of this conversation. I think it's really important to prepare our kids. And like you said, Kumar, now more than ever in this really strange space and time, you know, as we're talking about the challenges of both the pandemic and then what's going on around us uh, from a social and political perspective. Great, thank you. Shopei. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Shopei Ogunyemi Shema. Um, I have two boys. Um, my husband is Rwandan, so my boys are black, dark skinned, you know, black boys. They are um, three years old, just turned three in August, and, um, and nine months old. So I have a nine month old as well. And um, I work, um, I work currently work full time. My husband is not working currently due to the pandemic, um, but he's an accountant. And I've worked for many years in entertainment um, doing marketing. So um, worked at a multitude of places across the entertainment industry. And um, yeah, I mean, especially in this moment, um, working from home, trying to balance sort of normalized gender roles, I think for most of us on this panel, you know, working full time and mommy probably bearing most of the burnt, even with dad helping out um, of the childcare and the planning and all that kind of stuff, um, working, um, dealing with all of the things that are happening, um, you know, in our culture and our society right now at work, and also figuring out how to, you know, talk to your children about it. You know, I think that is something that is really on my mind. And it's been, you know, I'm excited to have this conversation because there's just been so many challenges that I've been facing. And, um, you know, it's 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 the joy of my life to be a parent to my sons. It's also one of the scariest things I've ever embarked on. And I'm, you know, just trying to get through it day to day. So excited to talk to the ladies. Thanks, Sophie. I love that, that vulnerability that you just brought up a little bit. And Sharita. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say I saw a lot of head nods when we were talking about like vulnerability and this is all new and we're all navigating like new situations and, and what that means as a parent, um, especially to a black and brown child. So I'm Sharita. I am a wife, a mother, a doula, childbirth educator, uh, many, many roles, educator, period. Um, and uh, I'm excited because I just launched Parent Epiphany. It's an innovative learning and support platform for parents, uh, pregnancy, postpartum, parenthood. I got y'all covered because it. this is such a vulnerable time. Early parenthood is hard, okay? Like, it's hard. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy, if you're poor, if you're educated, if you're not, it is hard. Like no one has the, there is no one solution, right? You have to figure out what works best for you. And it is about navigating, but it's also about building community and having tools and resources and knowing where to go and where you can get possible solutions. So that's what Parent Epiphany is about. And it really came about because I struggled. My husband and I struggled. All the things that we're going to be talking about today, like we have lived it. We're currently living it. And so I'm actually very grateful to have this conversation today um, and explore these topics. Maybe there will be a part two because it is ongoing, right? Like we had a dress rehearsal yesterday. It was amazing. And I'm like, wow, we could, I mean, every week we could probably talk about this. Like if we're being completely honest. Um, so I am a mother of two. Um, I am part of a, a, a biracial couple. My husband is white. So my children are biracial. My son is black. 
Um, and my daughter right now, she is what you would consider white passing. And so right now I'm thinking about all the conversations that I'm having, right? Like what it means to be a black boy in America and what it will mean for my daughter to be black, white passing in white spaces um, and how she is going to be able to navigate those situations. Like these are realities that my husband and I have talked about. We have cried about, um, and honestly, it's it's not, you know, like people say it's not fair. Life isn't fair. And I'm, I'm going to use a curse word right now, but bullshit. Like we need to learn. We need to rise up and like get over these things so that my kids can feel safe in this country. Um, so I'm really hoping that this conversation can bring awareness and like the hurt that black communities and families are feeling right now. Um you know, it's not just something that you see in the news. It is a lived reality. So, Kamara, thank you again for having us on, for having this conversation. I'm excited to explore these topics, share resources, like find strength in community. Um, so thank you. Um, I want to actually harp back to our tech rehearsal yesterday because it was such a great conversation. And I'm going to start off with Yasmin. You've had the conversation with your daughter about her being brown. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that conversation went? What did you say? And then anybody else can, can add after that. So, you know, a couple of things brought the conversation about. Obviously, um, the current social unrest, which has been ongoing, but, you know, kind of coming to a head now, again, um, was the first thing I think I was watching the news more and over the past, over the summer, I was watching the news more. And I think, you know, she saw me crying, let's be honest. Um, and we're all home. So there's no way, you know, to close your door and cry. Your kids are going to see it. They're going to see your hurt. And, and, you know, I had been debating about when to start this conversation with her, but uh, I, it just seemed like the time presented itself. So we watched the Sesame street special together um, she was kind of engaged, kind of not, because, you know, the the puppets weren't the primary focus or weren't, it wasn't as much puppet heavy, right? Um, but we've continued to talk about it. And I've talked to her and said, you know, there are some people that don't like people with brown skin. Um, and I've explained to her, like, that's a problem with them. Like, they have a problem. Like, there's something wrong with the way they think. And they're broken. And it doesn't mean that, you know there's anything wrong with you. It means that you need to be cautious sometimes and it's not all people, but you know, and she said, well, could they hit me or could they hurt me? And I said, well, you know, um, the ones who tell you flat out to your face, they don't like you, they might, right? Um, but other people might not tell you, they just might not be as nice. And she's kind of sat with that and we've talked about it here and there, you know, she'll come and we'll just bring it up again. And it's an ongoing conversation, but you know, that's the first time I've really had an open, I, I had a direct conversation, but let's be clear. Like that conversation starts even before then, like, you know, Kumara, you gave me big hair. don't care. Um, we've read princess hair, which is like about a whole bunch of different black girl hairstyles, you know, whether it's like the snowy day or whether it's like, you know, happy to be nappy or I like myself, like all of these tools I think are so important for brown parents to start introducing to their kids at a really young age because that self-love is critical like I wouldn't feel as comfortable telling her that some people aren't going to like her 
if I didn't know she already runs around being like, oh, I'm cute. Like, and listen, sometimes I'm like, all right, calm down. Like, it's a bit much. But at the end of the day, that's really important, right? Like, she needs to know her skin is beautiful. Like, all the colors of the rainbows are beautiful, of the rainbow is beautiful. But she's going to hear Barbie looks cute, right? She needs to hear the girl with the caramel skin, with the dark chocolate skin, with the cocoa skin, like that she's beautiful, that hair, whether it's, you know, 4C curly or bone straight, that doesn't affect somebody's beauty. And that's not where their worth lies. So I think, like I said, while the direct conversation happened recently and, you know, she'll come back to me and we'll talk about it again. And I think it'll continue to get more serious as she gets older. Um, I think it's important that I have that conversation, that I started the conversation now and that I started the self-love early, um, particularly as she starts to enter a school in a suburb that we live in that's predominantly white. She needs to understand, like, there are going to be additional challenges for you and to be prepared for that. That's my job as her mom to prepare her. And I feel like I don't want her to ever come back to me and be like, mom, why didn't you tell me? So that's where I'm coming from. Can I jump in there? I, that's 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 really powerful and amazing because this is something that I've been struggling with with my sons. Obviously, they're still young, right? My son's three, and they're the ones nine. And a couple of things is um, we definitely. I was very conscious of um, so the subconscious lessons that he could learn, right? As a young black boy looking at media and what you know, sort of he sees. I mean, I can't think about one preschool show that features a dark-skinned black boy, right? For example, I think Little Bill was one, but that's not on the air for other reasons right now, all this other stuff, right? But like, there's nothing. Um, we watched Doc Monk stuff and just started, but he watches Sesame Street, Dora, all of that kind of stuff. And we live also in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. Some of his nannies have been also been Hispanic, and it's been important for me to teach him another language, which has been Spanish. And I try to speak Yoruba to him, which is my, my native language as well. Um, so he speaks Spanish. He's so such a smart kid. He picks up everything. But I've been very conscious about having books, right? From when he was a baby, we were doing, you know, whose knees are these? And we have this book that he loved, full, full of love, right? Making sure there are Black families, making sure that we're representing in different ways. And when this moment came, it, but but even with that, I think I had my head in the sand a little bit. I think I was like, I... I am a black woman. I am Nigerian. I never had these conversations with my kids. And I'd be curious from you guys if your parents had these conversations with you growing up, because my parents, I mean, you know, I think, um, you know, one of you talked about sort of, you know, going back and, and or Adila, I think you talked about someone calling you an Oreo and your dad explaining. If I had gone to my parents, they'd be like, I don't know, what are you talking about? Right. Like they wouldn't have known to even give me, you know, have that. So it's like learning to be black in America was something that I learned. And my parents learned too, as you know, sort of they, they were living here but it was in an adult way and it was, it was a little bit different. And so I think, you know, I have a, a nephew, he's five and, you know, he's had racial, I mean, he's not five, he's 10 now, but since he was five, he's been having, you know, sort of racialized incidents. And my sister and her husband, um, who are both black, um, both, you know, immigrants to daddy and, and Nigerian, I don't believe had a proactive conversation with him, right? But started having the conversations. And even with that, it didn't occur to me. Yasmin, you say it's so easily right like I my husband and I have both been struggling with how to do it and like I'm going to take that and that's the conversation I'm going to have because and I've talked to other people who are like we don't know how to talk about it so like what you did there is so amazing and it's so helpful for me even because I've been trying to figure out how to do that and without making it complicated and um 
my son, you know, I think we went a little bit the other way. You know, we've been dealing with it. I don't think he's noticed as much. We're very big on emotional intelligence as well. And in my head, I think my direction has always been sort of having this responsibility to sort of hold his childhood a little bit longer. Um, and I think, I don't know if you guys have seen this movie, um, you know, I think it's called Life is Beautiful. And it's basically, it's a very, very sad movie. But I think about all the time about how this father had, even in these dire straits, right? So it's about a, a, a man in a Holocaust concentration camp and how he kept his son from understanding what was happening until sort of he was freed. I don't know if it's a true story, but it always impressed in my mind the power that parents have to shape their children's realities, right? Even in the most dire circumstances. So my approach had been sort of that, that, right? Really sort of like feeling the range of my emotions. I mean, I'm seeing two therapists right now, including a couple of scouts. I mean, we are in it, right? But making sure that um, I can manage my emotions so that I can be a solid foundation for my children. And he's joyful. He doesn't really sort of, you know, know sort of what's going on. I mean, he's excited. Both parents are home all the time. He's like loving it. But I think, you know, I, so he's not aware of sort of anything happening. Um, but I, I, I've been struggling because I know I have to introduce it. And I think I was telling Kumar yesterday. So I have this picture, which is uh, the Last Supper um, in my sort of like kitchen, which is basically a black version of the Last Supper. And it is a bunch of black, you know, men um, holding up and they're all sort of around the table, sort of like just but standing and holding up the black power salute, right? And then my, my you know, so I started trying to be like, oh, you're, you know, and, you know, we did Beyonce's Brown Skin Girl came out and we did a brown skin boy version that I sing to him and he knows and sort of all that kind of stuff, right? So I do Your Skin is Beautiful. I make sure I... Athea is another book that we bought that's a dark skinned, um, you know, black girl. I mean, I have a, I've been, I'm the queen. Like, if it's a black person in it, I'm buying it, right? Like, I have all of them, right? Um, but, you know, he said, and then he was like, Mama, why are they holding up their hands like that? And I was like, I could feel that. I was like, oh my God, what do I say? How do I feel the right thing? What do I say? I was like, um, because it's a sign to let them know that, you know, everyone knows that their skin is beautiful or something dumb. I don't know what I said. And he was like, why do they need to let people know that's going to be? But I was like, oh, Lord Jesus, I am not ready for this. Um, so I think he just, I, I, I wanted to share that. It's not sort of like answers, but it's just, I think in a lot of um, homes, like it's, you know, I feel like I don't know how to have the conversation, even though I, sh I feel like I should have been ready. I should have known it was coming. And I didn't, you know, I still am struggling with sort of how to tell him people might like him. And I was actually going to ask you about, you know, people might not like you, but I was going to ask you about how you would handle microaggressions. But you said, you know, some people might not tell you, they just might not be as nice. I just, it's so simple, right? And so I, I just wanted to say that's been my experience, but I really appreciate that I've learned something immediately from you because that's I'm literally going to use those words and go talk, to, you know, when I have to talk to him about it and start talking to him about it. So, you know, I've learned something already. Can I, can I, oh, I was about to jump in. I mean, I think as, you know, black parents, black and brown parents, in a real sense, we don't have the luxury of shielding our kids from everything. And something that's really instructive from my parents, because they're very much, uh, you know, Afrocentric, Black power, Black pride all day, every day. Okay. Um, I don't think a day went by when we didn't read something by a Black author. We, when, <laughs> I always make fun of my parents about, you know, Halloween, we either had to dress as uh, a black history, somebody from black history or a Bible character. Like it wasn't, <laughs> that's, that's sort of how I grew up. And I think it's important for us to not adopt 
um, a white lens and thinking like, oh, talking about race is hard. Children in slavery didn't have that luxury. And yet they still played with dolls. They still rode bikes. They still sang songs. They still told stories. And so it's important to raise your children with the, not only the knowledge of who they are, but how they need to operate in the world so they can survive and so that they can always be joyful yet. And even, even through, I mean, the worst thing in the world is when, uh, uh, you know, you've raised your kid, you don't want them to go to college and somebody called them a nigga for the first time. Like, and they're like, what, what is happening? <laughs> you know, when I was in graduate school, there was a group of us who would, um, a sort of mentor, a group of, um, black undergraduates and they had no, no, no idea what was happening to them because college was their first, was the first time that people, people were like outright with it. And then they're having to sort of evaluate their whole life. Have I been the pet Negro this time, blah, blah, you know? And so you need to, I think it's important for all of us to um, hold the joy and to always be joyful and to lift up, not just the, you know, hard times stories, but also the good times stories. And so they know who they are. The other thing I feel like you, um, it sounds like you're dealing with is a conundrum of being um, a, a play, a, an identity placed onto you that's not necessarily yours, but because you live in the United States, people are assuming that about your heritage and your kids' heritage. And that's very real too. And that's a different, that's a different thing altogether. And so I think you have to hold all of it and to be as honest as you can and to um, you know, hold all of it with, you know, in all of its complexity. I was just going to um, say that it's interesting because Chopin, I know the way you speak about it. My husband and I actually made a very conscious decision of which yesterday kind of just shaped, like changed my whole perspective, but um, a very conscious decision not to have the conversation. And it, part of that decision was because we felt that this world was going to educate them by nature of them being who they are at some point, right? And let's try to, Chopin, I think you said it, like preserve that innocence or preserve the lack of having to identify one way or the other. And again, for for me, it's even not more complicated, but it's it's complicated because they have, I'm, I'm an immigrant, my kids are first generation. So it's how do I educate them on race, but how do I also educate them on culture and those, and they're very different to me, and they mean very different things. And both of them are big minorities in this country. And, you know, I, I struggle with that. And my son, who's five, is beyond his years. He is older, and he, is, he has a very broad mind, and he can understand relatively complex topics. And I remember when Amadou Diablo was shot, my husband and I, neither of whom are runners, mind you, we ran. You know, we ran for the time that everybody was like two minutes and 35 seconds or, or two miles and 35, whatever it was. Um, 
and and I've never, I mean, my kids have never seen me put sneakers on and run, nor have they seen my husband do that before. So my, my son asked us, like, what are you doing? I said, you know, I'm going for a run. And if he looked at me as confused as I would expect him to look at me, like, why are you going for a run? Um, and I said, you know, I'm honoring somebody's life. And all of a sudden, I ended up in this conversation that I was very unprepared for, um, because he was asking a lot of questions that were very complex questions of which even at that age, I was un unaware he could even process, right? And Yaz, when you you just said your first incident was in kindergarten, like that really hit me because I was like, well, like I, well, like that's my son's age. Um, and I kind of fluttered, like I didn't have a good answer and I didn't answer his questions well. And I probably said too much on like the fact that he was killed and very little about the race. Like it was just a mess. And my husband wasn't there and I was like, oh my God, I wish he was here. <laughs> like somebody else. And later he came back. He's like, what did you say to him? I was like, I don't know. I didn't, I like, I just didn't handle that well. Well, and I think it has yesterday's conversation, that rehearsal conversation that we had prepared me that I really need to like, this needs to be a very conscious thought process. And it's like, I need to prepare myself more than even prepare them of how to find the words that are appropriate for their age that don't stifle them, but grow them, you know, and, and expand their mind versus contract their minds. And that's a, that's a hill I haven't even started to climb yet, but this conversation is inspiring me to do it because I'm realizing that my prior mentality of don't address it because, Hey, they're going to, they're going to face it anyway. So just don't address it too early is probably a faulty perspective, right? It's probably not preparing them in a way that they're gonna be able to rise to a challenge when they're faced with it in the right with the right toolkit. And yeah, as like you say, our, as jobs, I always feel like I wanna prepare my kids with the right toolkit in any situation to handle themselves. And I worry about my son, my eldest Noah, because he's very social. You know, like he's very social. He's the kid who would go running towards a cop, not thinking, you know, like he's the one that never maliciously, but because he's so friendly and he's so extroverted that how will that get perceived and and reacted, you know, and I, it's it's things that I have to think about now way more consciously than I was expecting to, you know, prior to yesterday's conversation. So a lot. You know, I just want. Oh, it's okay. I just wanted to jump in really quickly because you know, you guys were saying that we were talking about our first experience of being racialized in like kindergarten, like a young age. But here's the thing: like, I think that kids are conscious of that way before that first experience. You know, I think Celine's first experience. I actually talked to Kumar about because she was like two years old, I think, and somebody had given her Barbie. Like one of my girlfriends had given her, uh, it was actually sweet, right? My girlfriend's kids gave my daughter um, her old Barbie, like, oh, I love Celine. I want to give it to her. And it was a white Barbie. And Celine had some black Barbies that I had given her and, or actually multiracial. She had Middle Eastern ones, she had a black one, she had a Latina one, whatever. So um, we were, uh, she wanted to play with them. And she said something like, oh, she wanted the white one. And I was like, or she, she had, she distinguished. And I was like, oh, she noticed, like, what do I do now? And, and Kumara was like, oh, 
Well, she said something about the black Barbie, whatever she said. And I didn't even know that she had acknowledged that there was black and white. That's what it was. And Kumar was like, that's okay. Like, so she knows that they're black. Like, what, what does that mean? Like, what it, that's, that's a good thing that she knows that there's a difference. Let her know who she is. And so I think, honestly, I got to thank you again, Kumar, like for, for encouraging me to have that difficult conversation. And, and one last quick thing that I would say is that, you know, Sope um, and Adil, I think, and I see it with my husband, like being, there's racism everywhere in the world. But the American experience, that's something else. And, and, and to live that and to have to digest that and, and to give it and, and to explain it to your kids without having grown up with it yourself, that's challenging. Man, thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Parenting for Us by Us. You can find us on all streaming podcast platforms and we'll see you next time. Peace.